Welcome to the KBB Review Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Davis, of course, and this is episode two of season three. We've got another cracking episode coming up with a couple of guests at the top of their KBB game. First up, we've got Michael Parinci from retailer ProBuild360 in Birmingham. They're currently celebrating three, yes, three finalist nominations in their first go at entering the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards. So we'll find out what makes his family business so special. Then we'll meet Luke Harding. He's the guy in charge of Electrolux in the UK. And we'll be talking about how business is for them at the moment and the new right to repair legislation coming in for many appliances in the summer. That's all coming up. But first, did you know that the best way to listen to this and in fact all podcasts is to use a podcast app on your phone such as Apple Podcasts? That way you can subscribe to the show, which simply means clicking on a button to make sure every new episode automatically turns up in your feed, and you can also rate us and leave a lovely review to encourage others to give us a go. Simply go to the app and search KBB Review, all one word, and you'll find us. Now, if you're going to make a splash with your first go at entering the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards, then how about being a finalist in no less than three categories, especially if two of them are Bathroom Retailer of the Year and Kitchen Retailer of the Year. So let's meet Michael Perinci from ProBuild360, based in the great city of Birmingham. Hello, Michael. Hello, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. How is the weather in Birmingham today? Uh, mediocre. Yes, that sounds like Birmingham, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, that's a terrible thing to say. I love Birmingham. I lived there for many years. Right, firstly, Michael, congratulations on being on the shortlist in three separate categories. The other we haven't mentioned is the installation company of the year, very important one. So, look, how did you feel when you saw your name on that list so many times? Well, we worked very hard on putting the submissions in. So to have have it come back with all three submissions be uh, nominated for the categories, overjoyed really, particularly with coming out of COVID and all these kind of things. You need something to look forward to, don't you? It's quite a result for you. And what a way to mark your 10-year anniversary. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, May 2021, with 10-year anniversary. So we're very excited with lots of amazing new developments coming out about that. Fantastic. So let's find out a bit more about you. So give us the ProBuild360 story. What's the background? Well, it's a family-run company to start with. So when I speak about the directors, we're talking about mum and dad, really. So mum and dad were in fashion retail, actually, going back to the 80s. They had their own shops and so on. And then we had a rental portfolio and had experience and knowledge of the construction industry. But it was a side activity. Then as the 2008 global economic decline and just the general death of the high street with e-commerce and that kind of stuff began we picked up the baton a little bit more seriously with the construction and so on and people were noticing what we were doing and we had investment clubs and just individuals and acquaintances and introductions that wanted us to carry out real estate projects so buy to sell buy to let small developments and we just really got a knack for it. So it's very much a grassroots company. It wasn't contrived or conceived in any kind of you know ambitious way. It was very, very natural origins. And yeah, that's how it started and it took off from there, really. So give us an idea of how the company works today. Uh, what's the scope of it? What kind of things do you cover? Tell us about the actual business. What we noticed right from the start was that whilst you have builders out there you have um, architects and you've got planning consultants and 
installation companies and suppliers and all these professionals out there and companies out there. Everyone seemed to be very much committed to sticking to their little box of what they were doing. Whereas people that were so homeowners or small developers, the stress that came with gathering this team of professionals and making sure they're all working well together was not something they wanted to do. They wanted to say, these are my aims. Now, please go and score the goals. So the name ProBuild360 had the the ethos of the company baked right into it from the start with the 360-degree turnkey solution style service. And that's the overarching modus operandi of the company to encompass the whole service and take more, more just than doing the service, taking responsibility for the service. So I often describe if you have an integrated fridge freezer in your in your kitchen that you've just had to put into your extension or your new newly built house, you've got the manufacturer of the fridge freezer, you've got the supplier, you've got the haulage company that delivered it, you've got the electrician who wired it up, the carpenter who fitted the cabinetry and the builder who built the space that it's in in the first place. And all of these people are, if they're separated and fragmented, if something goes wrong with that fridge freezer, you're never going to have any redress. Whereas at ProBuild, we design it, we build it, we supply it, we, we fit it, we wire it up, and we guarantee that if there's anything wrong, you've got a one-stop shop for the responsibility. And that's what people seem to respond to. That's what people seem to appreciate is that they know that they can sleep well at night and they know that they've got one phone number. That's their construction manager that's allocated to them by us and they are in good hands. Yeah, and it's it's such an interesting approach because you, you clearly put a lot of detail into every stage of that journey that you're describing. Yes. A lot of planning goes into that. But I mean, you do have a, you, you have a showroom. Yes, more than one very soon, hopefully. Ah, okay. Well, we'll come on to that later. So these awards are all about what's happened in the last 12 months. And obviously, the last 12 months have just been, you know, an astonishing time for so many people. Talk us through the last year for you and what your lockdown experience was for your company, because obviously, you've dealt with the the downsides of it. But actually, you've really embraced the opportunities it's thrown up as well, especially in terms of marketing and structure and, and time to plan, haven't you? So tell, tell us what you've been up to. I mean, I would uh, caveat everything that I say on this because we do have a very positive story, but I always feel a little bit out of sorts telling such a positive story about something that has been such a different story for many people. I don't want to sugarcoat that. But for us, the construction industry lockdown restrictions have not been particularly strict in comparison to leisure and retail and that kind of stuff. So we were able to just keep things ticking over and make sure that the priorities uh, in the the depths of the lockdown, you know, last March and so on, the priorities were make sure that people's homes were secure, livable and functional, particularly those that hadn't moved out of their homes. So that kept us just ticking over. Everyone sort of had a little bit of time to lock down, reassess, look forward. But the real positive stories were the fact that So the home improvements and house building industry in general has seen real, no one predicted it, no one predicted it, but we have seen a real uptick in interest because people, I think, are living more what what I describe as home-centric lifestyles. And I think this also ties in with the push for uh, environmentally friendly lifestyles. I think people now are being more family-orientated, home-orientated, and so on. 
And what has happened, particularly with the pandemic lockdowns, is that people are making their homes as beautiful and comfortable and functional as they possibly can. So we've had a lot of interest. We've diversified our offerings, as in our products and services. We we literally launched an entire new branch of the company called Garden Space 360, which is you probably have noticed a little bit of um, a little bit of noise being made around these annex buildings out in the garden that people are having built, sort of like summer houses. Some people are having them as gyms. Some people are having them as little like yoga studios. Some people are having a lot of home businesses. So you've got um, uh, hairdressers, tattoo studios, art studios, all these kind of things. We've even done a music studio. These kind of things are being put in these lovely little summer houses down the end of the garden. But then a lot of people, because we've had the leisure industry as lockdown, people still want to be able to sit at a bar and have a drink. So, so many people are having projector screens, cinemas, bars and lounges and that kind of stuff in beautiful, premium, high-quality rooms at the end of the garden. So, yeah, we've diversified and it's been very positive. I mean, a lot of these are about extensions of existing skills and things, aren't they? It's not that big a leap to move from from kitchens and bathrooms into those kind of structures out in in the garden. Uh, I love the fact that you're doing talking about gyms and yoga studios. That is not my experience of people who have had them put in. Uh, my experience of people who have had them put in are basically making pubs. Yeah, <laughs> That's, we've had more of those than we've had gyms. Yes, you're a family business. And it was obviously started by your parents and everyone's still involved in it. How much does that connection, do you think, make you more resilient when times go tough? I would say that it's not for the faint-hearted. We're a very close family anyway, by any standards. But the, the truth of the matter is, is that it gives you, I would use your word, resilience, that even when the chips are down, whatever you have to do to make it work, it's personal. There's no proportionality. There's no rationality. It's all blood, sweat, and tears to the end. Fight to the death, and we'll get and we'll get it done. Whatever we got to do. I'll be in the office with my brother, my, my cousin, my mum, my dad. All these people will all be in the office the entire weekend. With my my children will be you know sat in the cinema room watching watching a movie with their lunch while we see customers and that kind. Of, it's so personal and so wonderful. The good times outweigh the bad by far. It's so nice to be able to look after each other as well. You know, when, when someone's having a tough day and they haven't had their lunch, you know, just get in the kitchen, make them something, put it on their desk and say, all right, calm yourself down. So it, it, it is wonderful, yeah. Yeah, and I guess knowing that, you know, those kids that are in the other room, there's a very high likelihood that they could be involved in the business as well. 100%. Um, that constant reminder that you're passing these things on. Yeah. So um, everything opened up again on April the 12th. Did it? Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know whether you noticed. There's been a pandemic. I'm sure it's been on the news. How has business been for you since reopening? We were still going quite strong through the end of last year. The summer of last year was quiet, was dead. Not because of a lack of interest, but because of a, just the restrictions. But then by... By the end of last year, we really were back up to speed because the restrictions on the construction industry, that we were, we were not prevented as, as long as work was done in a way that had exceptional control measures, which we put in place, we were able to continue working. But I would say that the beginning of this year, 
to give you an idea of how much interest there has been in, in our company over the beginning of 2021, leading up to, as you say, reopening in April. We have done last year's turnover in the first quarter of this year. Wow. Yeah. So what are you looking for now? Then let's hope that that we're on this, this roadmap to get out of the pandemic. What are you looking to do? What plans do you have for the next year or so? The 10-year anniversary uh, in May will bring about the launch of the well the relaunch of the of the existing main website and the launch of a exciting new brand underneath the the main brand we're actually rebranding to five sub brands um so that that rebrand is going to be very exciting and it's going to concentrate the activities of the various arms of the company into very tightly managed activities and it's going to be very efficient and very well run with great service so there's the management and the branding and the marketing are all taking a whole new a whole new lease of life. Our behind the scenes work will be becoming far more systemized. So I mentioned before the costing structures, so the way that we produce our estimates and our quotes, the way we create our budgets for each project is all having a complete overhaul which I've got groups like uh, peer to peer and Birmingham City University and Various other groups getting involved with creating those costing structures with me because they are very experimental. I've also created something called the ProBuild 360 Thought Leadership Project, which is a group that I've brought together of uh, industry professionals to create a information portal for homeowners, consumers and uh, small developers. It will be a portal for those people to engage with professionals on a fairly relaxed basis and be able to get consultancy and so on about their projects and their ideas and their ambitions um, and educate themselves about the basics of construction, project management and so on. One, th- one thing that I find to be an obstacle uh, in the construction industry is that people have a stigma of builders and building work as being very stressful and much like taking a car to a mechanics, they'll talk in jargon and you won't know what they're talking about. There'll be costs and things hidden in, in the in the grey areas and in between the lines and so on. So what we wanted to do is get rid of that stigma by creating this hub of like-minded individuals to talk openly and honestly and educate people that want to do projects so that they have the confidence to enter into projects with a bit of gusto and a bit of excitement and enthusiasm rather than nervousness and uh, trepidation. So the ProBuild360 Thought Leadership Project is a little baby of mine that I'm excited about. And apart from that, more of the same projects, we're going to have new developments, we're going to be doing lovely new build properties for people that want new homes built on pockets of land that they've found that's for themselves or private residents and of course our extensions and renovations and all the fancy works that we do already so more of the same and a lot of new stuff well that's monday and tuesday sorted michael but <laughs> yeah, what about wednesday right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all so ambitious and i love the fact that you're tackling the philosophy of things not just the practicalities of things that's fantastic Thank you so much for your time today, Michael. You're obviously a very busy man. So thanks for sparing us a bit of time today. You've got an amazing story to tell, so thanks for for sharing it with us and with the awards this year. So good luck for September. Thank you so much. It's very kind of you. 
just so you know, no one has ever done the double oh, of really? Kitchen Retailer of the Year and Bathroom Retailer of the Year in the same year. So could 2021 be the one? Who knows? They are judged completely separately from each other, so it could happen. I have no influence on it. I am not a judge, so I can't possibly do anything about it. But you just never know, do you? Michael, thanks so much for your time. I'll let you get back to the important stuff, and I'll see you in September. See you in September, Andrew. Cheers. Now, as I said at the top of the show, there are some big changes coming in the world of appliances as the new right-to-repair legislation comes into force this summer. So what does that mean for the big appliance brands? Well, they don't get much bigger than Electrolux, and hopefully down the line, we are very lucky to have the General Manager for UK and Ireland, Luke Harding. Hello, Luke. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. Now, where in the world are you right now? Uh, I'm in Newark-on-Trent, so I am uh, sat in my home office, as I'm sure we've all been spending a lot more time in. Oh, very nice. Because normally, you know, the Electrolux offices are very nice, but it's quite suburban, isn't it? Yes, so our, our offices are based in Luton. But of course, as you can imagine, with the ongoing pandemic, we're all spending a lot more time working remotely or uh, working flexibly from home or, uh, or out and about. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone is rushing back to Luton. Now, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, thanks for your time today. Uh, and before we get to the right to repair stuff, let's just catch up on Electrolux, if that's OK, because I think it'd be remiss of me not to, to get a bit of a roundup from you. Now, look, let's go back to basics here. Everyone knows Electrolux, obviously, but can you give us an idea of the scale of it in the UK in terms of kitchen retail? Yeah, so um, as you know, we're a, we're a well-established player in the in the UK market with particularly strong positions in the areas that we really target of built-in kitchen and uh, and premium laundry. And of course, built-in kitchen is uh, is where we are particularly strong. And of course, in kitchen retail, that's where we're very well aligned. If you look at the latest GFK data, our group share in the UK is is circa 6%. But of course, our strength lies in kitchen retail and built-in products. Uh, before, before it all hit the fan. Um, but how are you reading the market right now? How is business for you at the moment? Yeah, so I, you're right. I took over in January last year, just ahead of the pandemic. And of course, that had a severe impact across all areas of society. I don't think there's a business that wasn't impacted or a consumer that wasn't impacted in some way. So, you know, when I look back to this time last year, Q2, we all experienced a challenging time. And I mean, that was the same across the whole of the kitchen retail market. But I believe that our execution and um, consumers response absolutely validate that we've got the right strategy in place and that the financial performance of the business improved significantly as we traveled through last year and as we traveled through the pandemic um, because we, we had to be extremely agile in, in our execution. So if you look at our annual report for 2020, you can see that we had strong sales and earnings across the brands. So uh, obviously in the UK, AG and, and Zanussi brands. And we saw increased consumer demand as we traveled through the back half of last year. And we see that maintaining into the first half of this year. We're seeing very strong demand at the moment, whether that be in taste, care or well-being. And we hope to meet those demands as we go forward. Right. And how about, and this is the sticky question, but, and, but everybody's had to deal with it. How about the supply issues that so many brands have been dealing with? Can you give us the, the status of the Electrolux brands? Sure. And I guess looking back, when, when you look back to that initial outbreak in China in uh, early 2020, 
where all manufacturers source significant volumes of uh, of components and and finished goods. From that moment on, we saw delays in in deliveries of, of components and finished goods. And then, as the coronavirus outbreak spread through the globe, up through Italy, where of course the Electrolux Group has significant manufacturing sites. Um, you can see that that impacted last year. However, I'm pleased to say now that we've we've pivoted. We've we've been extremely agile. Supply is recovering every single week. Uh, when I look at when I look at the numbers, we're in a strong position. Our stock holdings now in the UK back in line with pre-pandemic levels, um, and we've worked extensively to mitigate the impact of the of the pandemic, and then also to meet the increase in consumer demand that we've seen as people spend more time in their homes. Yeah, I mean, there's so many factors involved there, aren't there? Like you say, I mean, there was obviously delays due to the pandemic, delays due to Brexit. You've got ships clogging up the Suez Canal. You've got, you know, everyone on furlough. You've got, I mean, there's a million different factors all involved here. One of the biggest things that came out of talking to retailers about those supply issues wasn't necessarily that they weren't sympathetic to all of the above. It's more that they were questioning the level of communication of the status. Are you confident that Electrolux did a good job there or were there lessons learned? Yes, I'm confident that we did a good job. Um, Of course, there are lessons learned as well. I think with any major global event such as a pandemic, I don't think any of us had lived through a pandemic in the past and hopefully we never will again. So of course there's learnings and of course there's things that that occurred that that we didn't anticipate and and getting visibility through a pandemic is naturally difficult because um you don't know uh, naturally you don't know from one week or one month to the next exactly what's going to happen across the supply chain i don't think any of us predicted the the ship blocking the suez canal if we had have done it would have been incredible so there's certain things you have to react to and you can't you can't predict uh, but i think we did a very good job of reacting uh, as quickly as we could yeah, I think the the fragility of, of logistics has been one of the things that's come out of this a little bit. I think we, we everyone was moving towards a uh, just-in-time model, but perhaps Brexit and this have, have, have perhaps changed some of the thinking about, about stockholding. Right, let's talk right to repair, because I think this is so fascinating, because it's such a nuanced thing. But I think you're probably best placed to give us the potted explanation of what it actually is. Uh, and what it means in terms of supply and retail. So I'm I'm going to hand it over to you to explain what right to repair is. The right to repair law aims to extend the lifespan of products by up to 10 years and saving consumers an average of £75 a year. We actually see it as fantastic news. It's a win for the consumer. When used according to our user guides and uh, and instruction manuals, AEG and Zanussi appliances will keep performing through that lifespan. But should something go wrong, Consumers can take advantage of our uh, expert technicians and services. Um, And as a leading uh, business in the area of sustainability, we really welcome the new legislation, uh, which will have a significant impact on on electrical waste. AEG and Zanussi appliances are designed with groundbreaking technology uh, and thoughtful innovation to minimise waste and help to protect the planet built in, built to last uh, I mean, we, we have reliability is absolutely uh, at our core. And we often hear from consumers telling us their products have lasted for decades, which, of course, as you can imagine, makes us really happy. But naturally, uh, general wear and tear, small hitches occasionally happen, but they shouldn't mean that we add to the global waste problem. Uh, and at AEG and Zanussi, we want to help consumers make sustainable choices to simplify their lives. 
Uh, that's why uh, Electrolux, we welcome the latest right to repair legislation. In fact, it's actually something we've always offered our customers. We've always had spare parts available for 10 years and many other benefits designed to help prolong the lifespan of appliances. I don't think there's anybody out there who would who would disagree with the, with the principles behind it. And as I say, genuine, genuinely, Electrolux's sustainability policies have always been very impressive. Um, but I think it does it throws up uh, questions on execution, I suppose, for those who make and sell appliances. For example, and this is a bit the tricky one, I suppose, but it's it's part of the reasoning why this all comes in. When it was all announced uh, a few weeks ago, the chairman of the Commons Environmental Audit Committee fascinating organization which i'm sure have some very interesting meetings whose name is philip dunn he said cracking down on planned obsolescence in electrical items is key to tackling the e-waste tsunami right yep and i mentioned i mentioned that because this accusation of planned obsolescence is pretty common i mean i know the answer is no but is there a factor of planned obsolescence when you're developing developing and making appliances as you say you want things to last for as long as possible but equally you want the most efficient appliances out there you want people to change their appliances every now and again because they've been upgraded and they work much better and they use less power and less energy and less water so is planned obsolescence a real thing or not no i can't speak for other manufacturers of course or or other sectors within electrical goods but we've uh, i mean as i said before we regularly have consumers contacting us saying that their products have, or their, their appliances have lasted for decades and that makes us really happy and we've we've had spares available for for 10 years it doesn't actually change our plans hence we welcome the legislation electrolux has always put sustainability at the heart of of everything we do and that includes reducing waste uh, wherever we can of course when the time does come for a consumer to replace their appliance uh, we would always we uh, ensure that we have products uh, on offer that help the consumer to live a more sustainable lifestyle. It's whether you, you define planned obsolescence as making it deliberately break down, which of course you would never do. But if you if someone's had a washing machine for 10 years, it is clearly not as efficient as a washing machine that they could buy today in terms of sustainability. They could, you know, with the amount of power and energy and water that it uses. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering where the balance is between making things last a long time, but they're not as efficient as new ones, or the recyclability and the, the, the waste element of throwing something away every five years. Yeah, and that's obviously something that we, that we look at, but uh, ultimately it's about consumer choice. So ensuring that we maximise the appeal and consumer benefit when they do come to purchase a new product, ensure that those products can help them to live a more sustainable lifestyle, but at the same time, giving them the ability and choice to keep their products, keep their appliance operating for as long as possible if there is a hitch, hence having spares available and having great services available that are accessible to the consumers to allow them to uh, to allow them to repair and uh, and live with the uh, live with the appliance that they do have to avoid it going into into waste the, the difference here i suppose is that this is now or it will become law as opposed to just being something that the company decides to do you carry those spare parts that's fine there's going to be lots of other companies who don't do that and so suddenly they've got to uh, provide the facility for that which is not going to be cheap what legal obligations does this right to repair stuff give you in terms of carrying out those repairs 
My worry is, I suppose, that appliances are complicated things. And the last thing I'd want is my dad taking the back off a washing machine and trying to replace something inside. Do they give you a legal obligation to help carry out those repairs past the guarantee or past the warranty? Or is it a service that you can offer? It's really, again, it's, it's, it's down to consumer choice. So we, uh, we do offer services. And again, in an effort to reduce electrical waste and save consumers money, uh, it's often much better for them to use a, an expert technician. So through products such as fixed price repair, through our uh, network of top technicians with the AG and Zanussi, we offer expert speedy repairs, no matter the age of the appliance. So and a repair free fee is quoted and agreed at the time of booking. So um, customers homes can quickly get back up and running smoothly again. There is also, of course, spares available for those who are more technically proficient and we have uh, instruction manuals fully available, etc. But of course, we would uh, we would recommend that a, uh, a trained technician is always, uh, always used to uh, to carry out uh, complex repairs. What I find interesting about this as well is that it coincides with a kind of leap forward in technology as well. So if you have you know lots of smart appliances that can effectively self-diagnose the issues that they have, you would hope that it that you would be able to head head a repair off at the pass a little bit in terms of you know a failed component or whatever, because smart appliances can diagnose themselves. Absolutely, and I and uh, diagnosis over time becomes yeah, will be able to become more remote, and then you can get a more speedy repair or a more more speedy correction to whatever the hitch is with that appliance. Which brings me on to the next bit, which is about opportunity in this, because if you combine this this element of self diagnosis with the right to repair, your immediate thing would be for a company like yours, it might affect sales because a big proportion of your business must be distressed purchase. I.e., my washing machine's bust; I need a new one. But you're trying to sort of reduce that. But is the opportunity in offering repair services effectively a repair subscription model that might sort of bring in new opportunities and new revenue? Well, we already uh, offer those uh, those kind of uh, services actually to, to to our consumers. So whether that be repair and care, so when buying AG and Zanussi branded uh, goods, customers are eligible not only to uh, for extensive repairs, but also access to our third party supplier, Domestic and General, uh, and their portal, which allows their appliances to be kept in good working order throughout the ownership. For, for us, it's not about sales or sales units it's about the consumer experience it's about ensuring that the consumer has a great experience yes i suppose that's what i'm what i'm getting at really is that you can have a continuous relationship with that customer rather than just having a quick hit with them when they need a new washing machine you've got a continuous relationship with them that keeps those appliances working in the most optimum way throughout their entire lifespan Yes, absolutely. And it means that that ongoing relationship allows us to to constantly check in with the, the consumer and the consumer to to have a relationship with us, whereby they can, we can ensure that they get the best experience throughout the life of that product and allows them to create, for example, create great tasting food simply throughout the uh, throughout the lifespan and throughout that consumer ex- uh, experience. 
Yeah, this is also interesting, isn't it? And it's going to be uh, really fascinating to see how it plays out in terms of, of legal obligation versus moral obligation for retailers and manufacturers. I suppose if you're a good retailer or a good manufacturer with a strong brand, you're going to take care of this stuff anyway. But consumers knowing they have a, a right to get this stuff done uh, is going to be so interesting. So let's, let's, let's sort of track it and see what happens. Before we go, Luke, before the clock beats us, Let's just get your outlook for the next year and beyond, if we can. Because obviously everything is changing, there's still a lot of flux going on, but we are on a roadmap, we're all heading in the right direction. So how do you see it all playing out in the next you know, one, two, three years? Yeah, look, I think, uh, of course, we're seeing there is light at the end of the tunnel in the UK as we see restrictions start to be, start to be lifted. Uh, the one thing for sure is that I think there's certain trends that are here to stay. Uh, one of those trends is that we are all spending more time at home. I could imagine that a lot of employees will be expecting to work from home a lot more than they've ever done in the past. And that means the focus on the home, I believe, will remain. The focus on entertaining at home will remain. And I think that's really good news for the uh, kitchen and bathroom industry. Yes, and, and hopefully, I hope you're right, because if it isn't, we're all in trouble. But I suspect that once trends get going, once things are established for quite a long time, which this, which this pandemic has been going on for now, it's very hard to turn that big ship around. Luke, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You've got a big company to run there, so thank you so much for your time, uh, and we'll catch up again soon. Pleasure. Thank you, Andrew. That's it for episode two of season three. As always, huge thanks to my guests, Michael Perinci and Luke Harding. Don't forget to go to a podcast app like Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Simply search KBB Review and we shall appear. See you next time.